Welcome to another episode of Startup Stories, the podcast that brings you your weekly entrepreneurship education and startup training by Europe's most inspiring founders. This episode brings us together with David Rona, founder of Dioro, a startup that used to produce and sell clothes made out of Pima cotton, a cotton that can only be harvested in a small region in Peru and that has gained a reputation for producing a smooth fabric that is soft to the touch, resistance to fraying, tearing, pilling, wrinkling, and fading. David decided to stop working on Dioro a while ago, but was kind enough to share his valuable experience and learnings with us. I hope this conversation will bring you as much value as it did to me. Enjoy! So, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Could we start maybe uh, talking about you, your story, and also what startup are we talking about today? Yes, sure, of course. So, uh, hi, thanks for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure. First time that I have actually the chance to speak up, to tell people about my story uh, regarding the startup. So, my name is uh, David, and it was around three, four years ago that I founded um, Dioro, which is a startup in the fair fashion uh, business industry. So, it's my own label. Uh, I went to Peru for that because they have very special cotton down there. Um, which is only allowed to actually uh, get harvested there and in no other part in the world. And it's also a fair standard, so it um, complies with all the um, biologically fair um, measurements that are out there. And uh, so yeah, that was the idea to combine these two parts together. So first the quality, the high quality uh, of the cotton, and second the, the fairness of the, of the clothes and bring, bring it together to one product that right now is selling under the brand Dioro. Yeah. yeah. When did you start that? So that was around four, I would say roughly four years ago mm -hmm. uh, when I had the, actually first there was the intention of just creating something, just doing something yeah. and not really uh, probably looking at what's actually needed. Um, but then I figured out very quickly, like after my first travel to Peru that they have a special cotton. I have never seen a, a brand here selling this, so I thought that might already be as itself kind of a unique selling point. Um, then the next step was kind of, uh, yeah, but what do we want to do with it? It's a nice cotton, maybe it's a nice product. It, it, might, it might result in a nice product, but there are still some steps to actually fulfill. And so the next thing was at that time, so four years ago, maybe 2014 or something, uh, many people started to talk about fairness, sustainability, and uh, since I already knew that many big sellers are producing in Peru, um, such as also Swiss uh, sellers, uh, Victorinox, or also big international brands, uh, Polo, Ralph Lauren, or German, um, one of the first actually German fair trade brand, uh, Hesnatu, are also uh, producing down there. So I thought there might be this potential of also combining it to, to this fairness, fair trade standard. So uh, that was actually um, where it led to my business idea and also to my kind of third travel down to Peru to actually bring it to uh, to uh, on the market. Yeah, I'm not sure if you already talked about but could you quickly repeat why did you go to Peru the first place in the first place? Yeah, of course. So there wasn't any intention of actually creating something in the first place. There was just like this intention of traveling the world, <laughs> meeting new cultures, new people and okay. uh, do some uh, some stuff in another uh, part of the world. 
so I had uh, Spanish classes before, and I thought that's just the best opportunity to go there and like kind of, uh, yeah, learn a bit more about the language and also their culture. And uh, so that was just a normal travel. I visited some uh, friends of the family um, that we knew through through well through the travels of my parents, and I could stay there. So it's a perfect opportunity to really go deep into the, the culture and, and learn more, which you wouldn't have been able to just by reading books, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you said so. You went down there um, on the third trip, right? Yeah. Um, how did you find your first suppliers? How did you go about that? I mean, you go yeah. to another country, you know almost no one yeah how do you what did you do what were the concrete steps you took yeah that's uh, actually that was quite the challenge because well nowadays we're quite connected uh, with each other so it's quite easy to actually find I would say uh, if you if you're looking for a certain product you just type it in Google and then it just gives you some results yeah um, but on the other hand there are the suppliers down there and they really need to be found so it's not that easy to just type in a name since you don't even know a name and if you just search for supplier then I mean most of them don't even have a web page and there's like this other um, big problem that many of them have this kind of um, uh, intermediary so you actually have to go through the intermediary to actually find the f uh, uh, um, an industry something uh, that is reproducing the, the fibers or something that is really someone that is really actually producing your product so uh, there was like this 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 first initial step to actually well find this intermediary but also kind of pass by them and then go directly to the uh, into the market where, where the products are actually um, um, done so because that was my intention I really wanted to, to speak to the people that are actually producing it yeah. um, and so the first step that I took was I looked at the other brands that I was just mentioning before that were producing already in mm -hmm. the same very same spot and uh, try to look their YouTube videos uh, try to go to their webpage. I even uh, talked to people that are working at Hesnatur and try to ask them or try to figure out whether they might maybe want to tell me their suppliers, yeah. which of course I didn't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I actually went down there with only one address uh, and I knew that might be at least my first point of contact yeah. where I, will, I, I try to actually sell myself, sell the idea and also hope that this kind of first point of contact will then refer me to others. Uh, once there, um, <laughs> I very quickly saw that uh, many people, if you just bring up your topic, knew about it, or, 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 or at least knew someone who, who, who's maybe in a related aspect or, or, or related in a certain way to other producers, to people that might know someone else. So it was a big risk going there without really knowing what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I didn't have this um, tight schedule uh, leading me to the next, like from one supplier to the next supplier, and uh, yeah. I could just uh, uh, ask them the questions I wanted. So first it was really like, go there, see what happens, and uh, if not, well, then just go back and maybe forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you, did, how long did it take for you to to, to find someone yeah you know did you did you just book a flight there and no return flight or did you <laughs> give yourself like three weeks or a month or I had a very very limited time so uh, it was actually my short trip to Peru I've been there three times it was my third time and I only gave myself a month yeah uh, it was enough uh, well okay I have to mention that I uh, kind of missed my flight <laughs> so it was a uh, that's kind a of missing a flight what does that mean <laughs> That means uh, there was just this big uh, traffic um, 
jam. So I would say it wasn't my fault. I would say it's fault of traffic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a month and a day, so uh, okay. which was enough. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no. I mean, if you go down there, and that was maybe the the thing I wasn't really prepared for. Uh, and just look what's actually approaching you, then you also face the risk of just like kind of losing the time and not really be able to produce something. Yeah. So I at least had this one point of contact. I also started to produce something with them. Uh, Ask uh, them whether they could do a sample for me within this month, because if the period ended, then I had to actually kind of ship that sample to uh, back home, yeah. which is just like uh, connected with big uh, costs, uh, yeah. freight costs. So uh, yeah, um, there were some kind of sleepless nights, uh, again, kind of, because I mean, I knew I was there and I also wanted to have a bit of fun, but on the same side, I, I really wanted to, to show myself that uh, there is an option and, and I'm actually gonna find this option to, to produce something. Yeah. yeah. And so in the end, uh, yeah, how long did it take you to have, you know, to find the producer that in the end produced for you? Um, so I made samples, so, so usually you, you, you ask them to do the sample for you, so you see how they work, how they actually take it serious, what you trying to, to, to show them, yeah. um, and if you see, and that's something that you see very quickly, um, if someone is really putting time into it, is really willing to work with you, or if it just sees you as a kind of, I would say, rich foreigner who just tries to, yeah. or, or he tries to fool, um, so that's something that you see very quickly. And so it took me still quite a while. Uh, well, it took me the full month that I was down there. Um, but on the other hand, you see very, uh, on first, I would say, a point that you're actually um, getting in touch with someone if the person is really willing to get mm -hmm. in deeper, um, uh, puts his commitment into your, into your uh, idea. Yeah. yeah. So how, how long did it take me? I would say, uh, as I said, like the first point of contact that I had is still of one, one of my suppliers. There is another one, so there are actually two at the moment. And the other one, I really just found kind of as a coincidence because it's kind. Yeah, I, I I ran out in into someone who knew him, and suddenly there was this phone call. So my phone just started to ring, and it was this second supplier. He called me. He was like, "Hey, I I just heard that you're actually looking for someone who might know where to produce pima cotton." And he just recently started something, and uh, there might he was also an intermediary, of course, yeah. but he could link me to a, to a, to um, a, the company that was yeah. producing it. So that was uh, I mean, Peru is in the fashion industry. So if you're just I would say walking the right streets, then and talking to some people, they also have an incentive of con of contacting you, of course. getting back to you. So yeah, yeah. Nice. and then these producers kind of produce the fabric. Yeah. that you could use and then what is the next step in the value chain what did you do afterwards yeah so like in the end you need a like yeah. a proper shirt or or sweater or whatever right? of course so instead of like thinking maybe to the end of the product i actually took a step back and i went to visit the 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 um the uh, the fields where the they actually harvest the cotton and so i went to a pura which is up north and they also have this big um, cotton company called uh, uh, um, um, Pura. Uh, uh, well, well um, I forgot about the name, but it's something with Pura. So mm -hmm. they, they reproduce this kind of cotton, the, yeah. the Pima cotton. Yeah. And it's a very limited kind of cotton. So if you're not producing it in this very same region, it actually loses its name. So if, for example, Americans try to actually um, bring this, the very same seeds to their country, mm. but then it just 
loses the name. It's not Pima anymore, but Super Pima. This is a special law that is actually uh, yeah. put into place. Yeah. So, so in this region, I wanted to actually see where it's, it's growing, um, and also take pictures with the farmers uh, to actually see the whole value chain, kind of from, from the beginning to the end. Mm. But that was more, more for a personal fulfillment. And so the next step in, uh, like, if you're uh, at a point producing and then want to look to the future, uh, the next point was really like producing this one sample. So you see whether they understood what you're trying, what we're trying to, to tell them, whether they really understood your idea. And also um, to see whether, whether, whether there is something that you might have the chance of actually surviving on the market. Mm. So how you just said you produced at full scale and the samples that you got is that, so the producers, did they make the, the shirts and everything already? Yeah. And, so and how, like, where did they get the designs from? Did you design the clothes or how did that work? Yeah. So that's also something that, um, it's of course, a very kind of interesting question because I, I actually asked it myself at the very, very late moment. Uh, I was there and I thought it's so easy to actually produce a, a sweater because, to be honest, more or less they all look the same. Uh, they have this two sleeves and you kind of have to enter it and <laughs> that's it, that's a sweater. <laughs> There's but a big hole and a smaller hole. Exactly, and exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, we all have more or less the same size of a, of a head, so <laughs> don't make a big mess out of it. But it's actually not that easy. So, uh, for example, in, uh, in this fashion industry, they, they have the so-called spec sheets. So it's yeah. just a technical sheet where you list uh, all the all the not just the size but also the the, the kind of um, uh, the endings of your of your sleeves or, or all the very very little details that actually a, a producer needs to know otherwise it's just kind of uh, lost and I mean just by explaining your idea doesn't mean that you're actually getting what you try to explain so that spec sheet is kind of your um, security because you can then refer to it and say look you did it different yeah. So we had to first find someone who's actually able <laughs> to do such a spec sheet. Uh, uh, I was in Peru, I had this limited amount of time, and I was with, uh, I went to a university, uh, building our new fashion designers, <laughs> uh, and asked whether someone is interested in, kind of just spend some time with me, and I would then try to explain my idea, and they would just put it into these spec sheets which they were actually able to use to have the software and the computer and, and everything. So kind of out of a very lucky uh, coincidence, I got to know, uh, to know someone uh, and she then uh, started to help me. And uh, yeah, she also received uh, a sweater uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very thankful for, for, for her help. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. yeah. How many, how many these different designs have you done? I mean, I'm wearing one sweater right now. Um, and I know there was there was a T-shirt and the, how many yeah. how many designs uh, did it, did you have in the end? So in my mind, I probably had a hundred, yeah. <laughs> and then really like able to to sell them uh, on a bit bigger scale. I had maybe well, it's hard because there always um, were new ones coming in, but around I would say for men maybe four products. And for women, also about four or five products. But I have samples for like 20 more. I also wanted to do underwear and, uh, and dresses for, 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 for women, for example. So there's like the market potential is, is, is insane. And uh, I still have this, this, um, this, this sweaters, uh, still in contact with the, with the companies. But the part that got 
more difficult was the part of actually selling it, even though you think you have a, a solid product. Yeah. I mean, we, we can go to the to the selling part. Definitely, yeah. I think that's very interesting now because you started to talk about it so often now. Um, yeah, what did you try? I mean, you said that it was difficult for you. Yeah. What What did you try? How did you create the demand for for your product? Yeah. So I I just had this big hope that um, well now when as many people start to do a startup and it's very cool because you it, it it's it's accessible. It's very um, yeah. It's just you just have something new in mind and you just try it out and that's cool. But then there. With the with the supply, there needs to be a demand, and and this second part I kind of forget about. So, uh, and to be able to actually, I would say, build this uh, this demand because there are so many products already on the market, you need to you need to be able to sell it to market it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a part where I'm very bad in, and that was a big maybe I would say learning or something that I I, I learned myself a little bit better. That it's not that easy to actually tell even just to your friends that you think you have the best product because if you don't co- convince them or, or if you're not convinced that you have the best product then nobody will sell it and that's already something that i, I kind of struggle and i don't want to c- convince people or, or just just uh, kind of put something in their mind and, and, and then it's my word and, and if, if it's not what i actually promised them then it's uh yeah then they will kind of uh, start to ask about whether my word is really counting mm-hmm. So uh, that was just a part of the I'm bad. And I think that many other people might be a bit better and they should have maybe teamed up. Um, but what I started to do is to kind of outsource it. So I asked shops whether they could actually um, kind of uh, do that part for me. I had two or three shops at the beginning that were um, willing to, to take some of, the, some of the products into their shop, but with, the, with this kind of um, special uh, um, uh, requirement. So they, they needed to have a certain amount of sales Mm. to actually let this stock my stock in their market mm. otherwise they would just kind of give it back and, and and that was it and that was kind of what happened because i i think um <laughs> even though you have it in the shop even though people see it it's not that easy that they're gonna buy um and another part was internet internet selling i tried to do it on my own no chance nobody buys your clothes on your shop because people uh, first they want to see it they want to touch it or if they already know a brand, then it's okay for them. But if they never had the chance to touch it and see it and they don't know you, nobody's gonna buy it. Yeah. So I switched um, to a marketplace that already existed, Fair Customer, which is also the first marketplace in Switzerland that sold the iPhone, the Fair produced iPhone, uh, or, or not iPhone, just smartphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Fairphone, it's, Fairphone. Called, right? it's called Fairphone. Yeah. And uh, so that was, that was kind of the, I would say, the, the, for me, it was a big opportunity to, 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 to place the products there. And that's something that I would say as a, as a maybe um, advice for other people who try to do something similar. Um, first, get to know your your um, your sellers, the, the, the people that you, that you think will then actually sell the product for you. And don't start with the product. That's that, so start, that would be my advice. Start selling before you have the product. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had one one uh, thought and question was um, so there's a lot of more and more um, social businesses coming up yeah. and we've also played with one with a couple of ideas and we see the challenge in communicating these you know long-term non-monetary benefits yeah. like it's sustainable it's it's fair and so on that's 
let's say non-monetary benefits. It's not it's cheaper or, you know, uh, it's really benefits that the customer doesn't feel immediately. How did you how did you go about communicating these um, and putting them front and center into in your? Yeah. So I I was confronted by kind of two options. The first was like really putting everything on this fair standard and, and selling it on this fair brand. Mm-hmm. So telling people that kind of if you're not buying my stuff, then you're actually supporting this, as you maybe would say, this kind of bad producers, producers that actually uh, just make profit out of their employees or just have bad um, conditions, working yeah. conditions. Um, but I, I try to focus a bit on, a, on another level, trying to say that it should be normal to produce on a fair standard at least in a country that we're living in we don't have to maybe um, um look on both sides of the coins all the time but like should be willing to actually spend a bit more for maybe products that we think can sustain yeah. uh, other parts of the world as well so that was maybe my approach to it but about the question on how would you communicate it um I really well that that, that is my deep uh, believing that you should actually receive or or put that standard on everything that you're kind of producing. Mm. Um, So put it as something that is normal, Um, and probably if you communicate it like this, people might also it might be kind of an eye opener for them to actually see well actually what I'm doing, Mm. namely not buying things that aren't fairly produced is not normal anymore. So that might be an approach that I would I would uh, suggest. Yeah. So yeah, really putting it as a standard. Yeah. It's not your unique selling proposition, but yeah. that's just normal. Exactly. And added to that, it's super soft. It's really high quality yeah. and so on. Yeah. 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 That's I think we discussed it as well. I mean, we're working on our own project yeah. and and we have exactly similar the same similar thoughts. Yeah. 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 That's probably yeah. the same. Yeah. What's yeah. your uh, sorry? Do you want to say something? Yeah, just maybe regarding this um, fair standards. Um, so since I try to produce this 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 product on a on a fair um, standard basis, uh, which at the first moment it looks it looks maybe easy. You think you can you can produce it. You just go out, look for someone that you think produces fairly or has already this label. But then there is this um, uh, obligation that you as a seller, kind of as the last point in the value chain, also is certified by this fair label. Yeah. Which I would say, I mean, as a normal seller, just receiving the products and actually putting them in someone else's hand. So you're not modifying it anymore. Mm-hmm. You maybe don't even have employees uh, under yourself or you're living in a country that actually has the fair standard already. I would count many countries in Europe as such countries that already have this fair, fair standard. It's kind of uh, unnecessary in a way, but they still have this requirement. So many, many of these standards, many of these labels um, that, that that put the that put the standard, a fair a fair trade standard on your or a fair trade label on your product, uh, are also kind of uh, seeking out for for looking for money, for more money, for for, for revenues. Yeah. So so even them or there, you have to be what's it called? Yeah, but, um, uh, just look out for for maybe a. That you don't fall into the trap because <laughs> it, it might look that everything is fair but from what i've experienced is that also they are really trying to to get the money out of your hands yeah. just by putting their labels on your product yeah. which on the other side i think is not fair they should <laughs> <It's not really> <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> i mean uh, yeah 
and so so that was kind of a struggle I had with them with the labels yeah. because at first they didn't want to give me um, this label they were confirming that I actually have a fair product but that I'm not al allowed to sell it as a fair product since I as kind of a company am not certified by them and I should actually undergo the whole process yeah. and actually pay for it so and it just didn't make any sense and I kind of could convince them but I saw that even there, you think you're doing something good, and then they, by actually doing something good, I mean, it's in their own, I would say, uh, willing, or in their own incentive that actually there are more producers yeah. selling on a yeah. fair trade basis, and, and, and I mean, selling, really selling, distributing the product, why should they limit yourself? Why, why, yeah. why should they start to limit yourself just, just out of the money reason? Yeah. 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 So labels actually can make it harder for, uh, of course, yeah. for companies mm -hmm. to, to sell Exactly. Uh, fair products. Even though they should support me. Yeah. What's your take on how we can solve intangible problems? For example, you know, the unsustainable unsustainable production of of, uh, yeah. of clothing. And intangible meaning intangible for the for the end customer that doesn't yeah. really see if the product has been produced fairly or not and doesn't yeah. really see the working conditions. Yeah. Um What's your take on how we can solve these problems and yeah. you know and still build a, a business that makes profit? Yeah, is it is it possible? Or yeah, how absolutely. How? Yeah, I mean that's maybe the thing. Everything with the internet globalization got a bit more transparent, but also things that you don't want to see got more intransparent. Instead, just hiding it, mm. telling you a good story, but actually hiding the bad, the bad one. Um, so I think the approach should be um, that you really yourself as the producer as the manufacturer go and make your own story and make it a good one so so go there and look what you see and uh, that was at least my approach to it so i really wanted to see from the from the first seed from actually the point where the the cotton starts to grow starts to go outside of the of the air and actually breezes its first um, fresh air um until it then got to a to a fab uh, to, a, to an industry that makes the the, the, the cotton the fabric mm. to actually make the product to actually um, putting the color into the into the the, 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 the already um, made produced uh, um, product to actually shipping it so so I would say go through your value chain and and be sure it's your value chain and not the one that you think is yours but it's actually a different one mm. um, maybe take some pictures create a story and and, and and why not sell the story as well yeah. and that's the certainty cert that, that you have if you're actually selling something on a fair standard yeah. Yeah. and on the same side you have I think a cool story to tell that people might even make them more willing to to, to actually uh, to, to get in contact with you and to yeah. you know to learn more about, about yeah definitely I think story is super important definitely for yeah. for, definitely. for things like that so so to to we know that you stopped now with it right yeah and for us it's very very, very curious about the reason why you actually stopped yeah. and in the end that's probably the the definition of failing right yeah so why did you do that and what made you do that yeah uh well i'm, I'm a deep believer in uh kind of um growing by failing uh even though i mean who, who, who really wants to fail nobody uh, it's a hard fact so it's kind of a punch in your face if you at a certain moment just see that actually the dream didn't come true um how was this moment 
<laughs> to elaborate a little bit on that. It was a small hard moment. So it was like every day. I mean, it's it's not a project that you know you have kind of this deadline and it just needs to go on that very same day. But it's something that can go for let's say years. So it's something that you need to realize. It's a process. At least in my case, it was. It's like if you don't have these orders coming in, then you see or you slowly see that actually the thing that you dreamed of <laughs> is slowly gonna die. Yeah. So. Um, um, that was a process and it was of course this one or, or more or less moment where you decided yourself that you're not going to put more effort into it in order to make this idea make this dream come true so how, how did you come to that decision like now i'm not going to invest anymore yeah but what were the this the, yeah. what happened before that yeah so i told myself i'm not just gonna let it go just uh, by not doing anything but the effort that I took was really by already having in mind that I'm not going to pursue on it anymore. Mm. So um, I asked my recent sellers whether they have any interest of taking the product again into their market um, with a much higher um, uh, um, commission so mm. that they would get much more out of it than I would. Um, one was interested in that uh, proposition and, and, and said, yeah, of course, I mean, let's discuss that. And, and actually, no, I don't earn anything anymore. And the, 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 the lady owning the shop, I would say, um, ha has this interest in, in, in still selling it since she's now, I would say, able, at, at least if she sells it, she has something that is going to go mm. to her own hands, which I don't have anymore. Um, on the same side, um, I uh, um, try to do the same on, uh, on, on this web page. Um, try to ask them whether I could just kind of give them the product, even though I still own it, but but let them decide about it. So all the op operative parts, um, naming the price, discounts, newsletters that are um, showing the product and everything else is covered by them. Mm. And they also have a much higher fee, a much higher commission on it, um, which is an incentive for them to sell it. So I put it, the incentives to my sellers, to my previous sellers, trying to convince them that if they actually still think that there's something that they might be able to do with the product, that they should. So uh, I kind of put it, or try to put it outside of the of my hands mm. uh, by writing the incentives for others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah what was your, if we go to the learning? I think we should go there, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, we wanna, you, you said in the, in the beginning, there's a big gap between what you did and what you would do differently. Yeah. Also, big learnings probably. Yeah. Um, maybe we can talk about your biggest learning. Yeah. So my advice, now it's a bit too late for to give that advice to myself. Uh, so that's maybe the opportunity I can, uh, I have here, uh, to actually um, say what I would do differently, um, and and that, and I would I would describe it with two words. So it's a uh, start smart. Um, that means you can you can you can you can, you can come up with an idea, but at that moment it's still only in your mind, and it might be good, it might be very very valid in the future, but you need to test this, you, and you need to have the certainty that it's not just in your mind shining, but might also in others. So so start smart, and there are many steps that you can take. So maybe just in my case, because we, we spoke about it, um, and as you, you said uh, a bit earlier, maybe start by selling the product before you even have it. And 
with clothes, it might seem difficult, but there are many options how you could do it. So just by speaking about the samples that I, as I did at the beginning, I could have invested a bit more money in producing the samples, maybe in producing a second sample, which is very costly because you have to send it to ship it back to you. Yeah. But then you have the certainty that it's something that you really like and not just something that you think, now I just have to start. Because otherwise, uh, who knows, someone is going to steal my idea or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, you have to, to be sure that, that it's something that, that is really um, valid. So, so start by that and then try to sell this or try to modify it again if you can sell it. But before producing, before even going to any full-scale production. So in the, in, the, in the case of clothes, for example, the, there are some, 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 uh, some fairs, some, some fashion fairs. Mm. Big ones, smaller ones. I mean, why don't just invest a bit of money, have your own space there, which is maybe at, I mean, for, for two square meters, maybe 200 Swiss francs for one day or for a weekend. And then you just have your samples, you have everything there. And the people usually, the, 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 the people from the buying market, the buying office from the different uh, um, uh, retail, retail companies, uh, passing by, touching your, your stuff, giving you a feedback, and also maybe even giving you um, this opportunity to sell it through them. That that would be that that would be my, my my approach. And if you see that nobody's interested of, of these people, of course you can say don't let your dream die and just try it out. But at least you have higher certainty, and maybe already a, a foot inside of the door of someone who who, who who thinks it's a cool idea. Because if you're the only one, then I would say it's going to crash. Yeah. So with all these learnings, um, why don't you do it again? <laughs> There are some uh, other ideas I have in my mind, and uh, with, with one that we just recently uh, started to to uh, um, to test out to start smart. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we really try to uh, focus on these steps. Uh, it's something uh, in the liquor um, uh, branch, and yeah. so we yeah we really try to first find our find our uh, customers. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, find our suppliers. So that's that's the approach that we we take now. If you if you want to share anything about it, what you know, maybe people yeah. listening or pe people we know might be potential customers. Um, maybe I, I just go to touch another uh, topic, but very in the very same uh, uh, kind of um, sphere. So uh, someone else told me, and he's also connected somehow to this new project told me that he, he was in the music business before and it was super hard to actually get in contact with someone who was maybe able to play at a certain concert or, or, or wherever mm. an international player music musician uh, and you also had to you always had to go through the records uh, kind mm. of the intermediaries in my case to actually get in contact with these people before the internet nowadays it's much easier and it's the same with friends it's much easier you can just call someone, let them know, yeah, I, I really want to meet you, uh, let's do something again. It's super easy. It's a, it's a quick chat. But in, in this case of this, of this, of this um, uh, friend who, who was in the music business, he, he said when he wanted to have someone, he had to put a lot of effort into it. He had to search for it. He, had to, he wasn't that easy to find his email address. He had to really dig in, uh, uh, maybe, maybe have his fax uh, or telephone number and really 
put time and effort into into meeting this person nowadays it's much quicker but also the the, the, the rate that you say to yourself i'm not going to do it i'm not going to pursue it anymore it was easy to start but now just let it go because since i didn't have to put that much effort into it i can also just let it go mm. makes the failure rate i would say much bigger it makes the entrance rate bigger but also the failure rate much bigger mm. and that's something that you should maybe focus a bit more on that that's just even though it seems easy try to really um start and put effort into it put, put a big 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 effort into it yeah and 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 and, and, and also the people that you're working with they, they will see that you put a big effort into it yeah and they then have this commitment in supporting you if they see it was just easy for you you just wanted to start and you wanted to make a big success it's harder for you to find someone that's actually gonna gonna sustainably um, keep following you, keep um, pursuing on uh, making your dreams come true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the point. Um, it's actually, Michel and I also discuss this sometimes. Is you know, how much do you put in? How much work do you put in? And when do you say, okay, we're gonna stop now? Is it? Is it? Are we maybe just too? You know. Uh, not patient enough do sh should we put in you know another six months and maybe mm. then it'll work mm. yeah definitely we are, like if you want to go down to the example like we were t we all set an idea and we quickly built the prototype of it it was super easy to do and then we tried to find customers as a first step kind of and we couldn't find them and then it was exactly this this situation kind of how long are we going to continue finding customers and then we asked ourselves are we not patient enough that we want to stop now or what is happening actually yeah. so i think that was the the very difficult part about it yeah yeah so your point uh put in more time than you think um, uh, well you you always have to be realistic you have to yeah. you have to have both aspects in mind so putting the time into it modify it get the feedback from the market so if you have a product that is kind of i would say lying dead for six months you don't modify it yeah. maybe forget about it but yeah. if you have the feedback and you know what you should do better and people are actually willing to probably use it in a certain way put the effort not by waiting but by modifying your product so the effort has to has to result by doing something so so it's an active effort not not not, not a passive one but just mm -hmm. waiting until the customer is coming if you don't find a customer in six months didn't modify it there is a, just a, a much, much, uh, uh, I'd say, a smaller chance of actually making it to a success. Mm. Yeah. All right. I mean, we've covered the, I think, the first two questions of the three questions. Yeah, I thought so asked. too. Yeah. Um, we have one last question. If 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 you don't want to talk about the the liquor um, business, we have one last question. What is the last book or blog post or article um, that you read yeah. and why would you recommend it? All right. So, <laughs> all right, cool. Um, so the very last book, and I have it here in my bag with me, is called The Tipping Point. And it's all about this psychological uh, aspect in, uh, in humans. Um, and The Tipping Point is actually something that um, it's very much related to any other product as well that you're trying to sell. So it's that point where something suddenly and kind of out of your control just becomes successful. And it's explaining why it happens and maybe also how you can force it or, or make it happen. 
So tipping point is um, uh, a trend, for example. How do how trends get created? What are the the um, um, the parts that make a trend actually going to happen? And that's interesting. It's hard because what the book, at least from what I've read so far, uh, tries to tell you is that you're not in full control over it. Of course, you can influence it. Um, but then again, it divides people in kind of three different um, types. And one of them is the seller. So they just have this uh, very interesting story that they tell about, uh, but I'm, I might quote it a bit. Um, wrongly but I just try my best so that's about this revolution happening in the US uh, against the British people mm. um, on the east coast so uh, near I guess Boston it was where they had the, the British one had their camps uh, and actually wanted to uh, suppress the, 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 the English uh, well the, the folks the people living there back at that time which actually led to the American Revolution and apparently there were like these two guys seeing that the British were actually getting prepared for war and um, what they did is they uh, went to their horses and just started to ride to the nearest villages and from one village to the next village to the next village trying to spread this message and what happened is that one guy was really successful and he actually was able to convince i mean that was the notice hey people the english people are coming they're actually going to prepare themselves for war and they're actually going to invade you or yeah, attack you um go go and grab your arms they might be there tomorrow and the other guy did the same but at different villages later on or at least the next morning they started to invade the american revolution started and very very specially some villages were able to defend themselves and the others were not and some historians uh, histori uh, people um, um, uh, um, kind of trying to understand this problem they said, yeah, maybe these villages were just kind of pro-British, pro-pro-pro-Britain, and the others weren't. But that's the, the only logical thing that might have happened. And later on, or at least the book tries to convince the reader that the message was the same, and the villages were actually covered by both. Mm. But probably one of them wasn't just able to convince the people on the same mm. uh, level than the other one was. So at the end, the marketing and everything... It's not just about the message, what you say, but how you say. Yeah. Cool, cool story. It's definitely a very cool, cool story. story. Yeah, definitely yeah. a story. Yeah. Very interesting. I also thought about the tipping point. You know, we just had we talked about this illustration, of like where you have a mountain like this, and before you reach this tipping point, you kind of, it's like you're a little man, putting up a big rock, up to the top of a mountain. And at the moment when you reach it, like you're kind of going down there and you're, there's a lot happening without your influence kind of, and you're just selling everything to everyone. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The Tipping Point, How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference by Malcolm Gladwell. You can find it on Amazon. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks Thank so much for, for sharing. Is there anything uh, we missed that uh, you wanted to tell young and aspiring entrepreneurs <laughs> well i mean i would love to actually continue i it was a big pleasure speaking with you i guess you're also people with brilliant minds having a lot of ideas in your mind but on the same side i don't want to bore people so <laughs> i think we should come to an end <laughs> all right well um thanks so much for your time and and for sharing that story um 
Are there any of your clothes somewhere that people can get or buy? Because I really love that sweater. I'm wearing it right now. It's so soft. And if yeah, there were anywhere people, people could <laughs> get <rare>. it. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, <laughs> they're very uh, expensive now because they're oh, so rare. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's because I can't. I don't have an influence on the prices anymore. Right. Yeah. True. <laughs> Out of the operating business. Uh, fair customer. That's a cool site, not just because of my products, but also because of the other products. So if you need a gift, something for your parents, girlfriends, whatever, you can try to find something there. Sure. All right, it. and you can find it there. Yeah. Awesome. Faircustomer.ch. I just put it up. Cool. Thanks so much, and uh, yeah, good luck with your with your next idea. All the best. Thanks. Right. Same to you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Startup Stories. Make sure to check out the show notes and our blog post with additional links at nerdentrepreneurs.com. And if you like our podcast, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks and see you next time. Cheers.